Welcome back to the Bibbs Corner Podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Bibbins at Bibbs Corner on Twitter uh, for all the sports stuff. And, you know, I had guests on for the past few weeks, and I'd actually planned to have guests on for this episode as well. But I'm actually, what I'm going to end up doing is doubling up my guests for next week. I'm going to keep it under wraps for now. But I'm going to end up having two episodes in the middle of next week uh, in preparation for the NBA Finals. Uh, Expectations are that both series should be over by the time I'm looking to record and get those out. Uh, So it should work as a nice little finals preview. Uh, Hopefully the finals hasn't already begun, but if it has, I believe that I'll still be safe based on who those guests are going to be. With that said, uh, this episode, I'm just going to talk about these conference finals. And uh, then I got some questions I'll answer at the end. So a uh, quick break and then we'll we'll get right into the uh, the conference final t- conversation and uh, get to those questions. There were some definitely some good ones, some interesting ones. All right, welcome back. To the Bibbs Corner podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Mike Bibbins at Bibbs Corner for all of the sports stuff. <clears throat> you might have noticed in the beginning I sounded kind of weird. Or like I had something in my mouth. I had eaten some chocolate and it's got my mouth like all messed up. That was a really bad decision by myself to, to, to eat chocolate right before my recording. But uh, <laughs> moving right along, <clears throat> I haven't really talked about these series based on the guests that I've had on. Um, So, first of all, Heat Celtics. Now, if you had told me at the beginning of the playoffs it was going to be these two teams, I wouldn't have been that surprised, quite honestly. Um, The bubble environment seemed conducive to uh, younger teams having some sort of an advantage. Uh, Teams with young players playing in this type of environment seem like a good fit. And then based on the the top teams in the East, the Bucs seem vulnerable, uh, especially to to tough defensive teams with a lot of uh, weapons they can throw at you. And then, uh, you know, there there wasn't a lot of depth in the East, if we're keeping it, if we're going to be honest. Uh, there really wasn't a lot of depth. It was basically, in my opinion, four teams, because I, I wouldn't even count the Pacers. They were overperforming. So it was four teams, in my opinion, that could have made it out. Um, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, and these Heat. Um, again, the Bucks kind of fell apart. Uh, Giannis getting hurt kind of sealed the deal there. And then the Raptors... Clearly, we're missing somebody to to take over at the end of of games or to to lead that team. They got a bunch of scrappy guys, but they didn't have that one guy to bring it all together, and that was Kawhi last year. Uh, Pascal had a huge wake uh, wake up call in the series uh, there. And meantime, the Celtics have been here multiple years in a row. Uh, Jimmy Butler is that guy for the Heat that step up, and Drogic as well, and uh, maybe even more so Drogic right now. 
um, is carrying the team offensively. Uh, Jimmy Butler just kind of pacing him. And like I said in the episode with Corey, just picking his spots and stepping up when he has to, when he needs to, to go get a bucket uh, down the stretch of games. Like he's like the the the, the veteran out there just kind of making sure things run smoothly. And he even looks like an old mechanic just out there. And uh, when he sees a lug nut roll out, he goes and grabs it to make sure the operation continues to run smoothly. So Something like that. Um, but in this series so far, the Heat up 3-1 on the Celtics. Um, I think I also said when I was talking about this series before it began that it would not surprise me to see the Heat close it out in five. Uh, they are on pace to do so. And it's interesting because when you look at these teams on paper, it feels like the Celtics have more weapons. Um, And even when you look at who's doing the scoring, uh, Tatum, Brown, and Kemba are all averaging over 20 points a game. Uh, If you told me that all three of them were going to be averaging over 20 points a game, I feel pretty good about about their chances to, to win the series. Tatum's at 26 a game. Brown at 21, and then Kemba's basically at 21 also. Um, Tatum also averaging 10 boards, 5 assists, a steal and a half, a block and a half. Like he's doing, he's filling up the stat sheet. Uh, Brown, 21, 7, and 3, one and a half steals as well. Uh, Kemba pretty much 21, 5, and 4 assists. Then even Marcus Smart, 17 and a half points a game. Five and a half assists. Uh, Tice is another guy. Six and a half points, seven boards a game. Uh, They got Hayward back in these last two games. He's been playing big minutes, but hasn't been doing a whole lot. uh, Averaging 10.6 boards, three and a half assists, a steal and a half in in the last two games, uh, which they have split in this series. Uh, It kind of felt like he might have been somewhat of an X factor for them coming back, but... Uh, This last game went right back to the formula that we knew prior. Um, I think some of the stuff that stands out about what might be going wrong for the Celtics, uh, Jalen Brown is the only one shooting the three ball at a good clip as far as percentage-wise. He's shooting almost 60% from three. Problem is he's taking half as many threes as Kemba and Jason Tatum. So he's 10 for 17. Jason Tatum is 10 for 32. Kemba is 12 for 36. Marcus Smart is 9 for 29, which is funny because it feels like he made like six straight or something ridiculous to start the series. I didn't feel like going back and confirming that, but he's been buns from from three since then. And... uh Gordon Hayward, since he's gotten back, he is three for nine from three in the two games since he's been back. So it's basically uh, Jalen Brown is the only one hitting outside shots. Everybody else is in the low 30s in percentage-wise. Another thing, they're not playing very deep into their bench. Right now, I think five guys have played 30 minutes a game in every game. Gordon Hayward has played 30 minutes in the two games that he's played. Uh, Brad Watermaker is 
one of the guys that has played in every single game. Though thus far, he's averaging about 18 minutes a game off the bench for them. And the only other player to play in every other game, interestingly, is Grant Williams. But he's averaging like seven minutes a game. So the Celtics not going very deep in their bench, playing guys big minutes. That probably factors into the the poor percentages people are shooting. But now that I'm, I'm even looking at it more, Jalen Brown's shooting almost 56% from the field on top of his shooting like 59% from three. So you have to wonder what's going on there to where he's not being able to contribute more. Uh, why is he not getting more shots? He's the only one shooting very, very high percentages. He's shooting almost twice as well from the field as Tatum and Kemba, but not getting the the attempts. And even um, free throw attempts. Like I, I look at him as like a guy that can drive and do things getting into the lane. He's got half the free throw attempts of Jason Tatum as well. Uh, Tatum's taking 26, Jalen Brown's taking 13. Even Kemba has 17 free throws, so um, I I don't, I can't, I gotta admit, I haven't been watching the Celtics a ton, but I don't know, it feels like Brown could be, needs, maybe needs to be the X factor, maybe needs to step up, maybe needs to take more of a leading role in this, uh, this series if they're gonna save themselves going forward. Meanwhile, on the other side, and again, the Heat are not a sexy team at all. Like, you don't look at that team and think, yeah, these guys are, are doing it. These guys are going all the way. But they have just the the scrappiest, fightingest, the, the group of guys that are willing to step on any court with anybody, don't care who you are, don't care about your name, and we're just going to play hard um, no matter what. Uh, their team, they have three guys averaging over 20 also. Uh, Drogic is averaging about 22. Bam is actually averaging 21. Tyler Hero is averaging 20. Jimmy Butler is only averaging 19. And then Jay Crowder is giving them 12. Duncan Robinson is giving them 10. And those are actually... One, two, three, four, five... Those first five guys, and that's every Jay, Jimmy, Tyler, Bam, and Goran, are averaging over 30 minutes a game. Duncan Robinson's playing 25. The only other guy who's played every other every single game is Iguodala. Uh, he's averaging about 14 minutes off the bench. Uh, giving him good minutes, too. Um, definitely has made some plays defensively uh, when he's been in. But there's no, the only real standout for me when I look at who's performing, like, how they're performing consistently. First, Drogic leading the team in scoring. Like, he's been very timely with his baskets. Uh, He seems to always get a basket when they need one. And then, bam, 21 and 11. Four and a half assists also, two steals, and one and a half blocks. Like, he's doing everything. He's really the anchor to this team. So everybody was terrified when he, he looked like he hurt his wrist. In uh, the last game, near the end, but he said he's fine. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, 
they definitely can't lose him. And if they're going to be going to the finals, like I, they might be able to win without him. But if they're going to go to the finals, they definitely need him going up against either the Lakers or the Nuggets. <clears throat> and I say the Lakers or the Nuggets, despite where they stand right now, which we'll get into in a minute. But, um, I mean, the Nuggets have been here before. So <laughs> I can't count them out till the clock hits zeros in the fourth quarter on their fourth loss. Um, but even when you look at, like, the shooting numbers, and again, everybody's playing big minutes. The guys that are playing are playing big minutes. But nobody's shooting, like, a sexy sexy number from, from three or from the field at all on this team. Maybe Tyler Hero shooting 50% from the field, but 34% from three is below league average. Um, Bam, of course, doesn't really shoot the three, so of course he's going to have a high field goal percentage uh, at 60. It's uh, the, the Heat are just doing just enough to get by with these W's. Um, it's it's it actually been interesting to watch. Like, you can't really point to anything and say this is what they're doing, this is why it's working. It's just scrapping, clawing, doing whatever it takes, and then finishing games. Um, game three, when the Celtics won, is the only game in this series that has had any sort of, like, real separation, like it looked like, the Celtics, it, it felt like the Celtics might have really done something to turn things around. But even then, just based on the way the Heat had performed all playoff, it was hard for me to buy into the idea of the Celtics finally putting it together. Uh, the Heat won game one by three, game two by five, and then game four by three. So not scared of a close game. Um, And again, just finishing down the stretch, the Celtics, despite... All the experience these guys have had getting close to the finals, um, they're still young. And they still show in those moments that they may or may they may not be ready to take that next step. A lot of talent. They're going to do make a lot of noise for a long time. I don't think even if they lose this series 4-1, if they lose in this next game, I don't think it's any reason to to panic and start blowing things up or anything like that. Um, this is their first year with Kemba there as well. His first time on this big of a stage in the NBA. So uh, there might be some small tweaks you need to make, but as far as the core group, I don't think you need to blow the core group up. Uh, Gordon Hayward is a free agent, so that's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, I can't see him leaving unless he really wants a bigger role, which he can probably get somewhere. Uh, but they've been so close to, to really getting through that uh, I, I feel like it ha- it almost has to happen soon. Uh, they got to stop playing games with, with, uh, with Giannis, though, because if he is definitely intending to stay, uh, there's only <laughs> you're only going to get away with him not being in those conference finals for so long or being in those finals, uh, that finals push for so long, so... It's going to be interesting to watch the top of the East going forward. Um, moving to, let me see here. Let me check something. Oh, I didn't even touch on <laughs> the locker room blow up. Let me touch on that real quick. The Celtics did have that big locker room blow up after they lost game two. And it's been told that Marcus Smart was getting into it with Jalen Brown. And that was kind of it. 
I don't think it's like the the Clippers situation. I think that these are all young guys. And uh, at the end of the day, cooler heads will prevail. Uh, it's a tough, stressful situation as it, as it has always been in these playoffs. And uh, I don't I don't read anything into it. Like I said, the Clippers may feel like they make might make a move. Like I feel like they might be more be more be in more of a desperate situation than the Celtics. Celtics I think can be patient with uh with their guys and if they lose it's not the end of the world. Uh moving forward to the Nuggets and Lakers. This series has been interesting as well. It's been very different from the other series. Though they are both currently three one. Um first to get some some stats and stuff out of the way see here matter of fact actually you know what i'm gonna take a quick break because i can and then i'll be right back all right folks welcome back and uh, after starting to talk about Nuggets Lakers, I decided to wait. And um, the reason is I wanted uh, to kind of break the episode up a little easier. Uh, make it easier to digest, if you will. Um, so first, let's get into the numbers. I don't think there's anything really surprising about who's leading or carrying this series. Uh, on the Lakers, AD 31 and 7. Uh, LeBron 24, 9 and 9 on the series uh but then the others so the others for the lakers kcp actually is the the third guy and he's been hitting some really really timely shots for the lakers uh 13 he's averaging about 13.7 or 14 points if you will uh kuzma's averaging about 10 and kcp is also the only one who's hitting threes he's actually uh 53 from three through the first two games uh, I think he, let me, I just looked at it and completely forgot what the stat was. Let me pull it up. Uh, he was three for nine in game four, which just ended. The stats hadn't updated. So uh, three for nine makes him 11 for 24, but still averaging about just under 50% from three for the series. But everybody else on the team is in the 20s. Including Danny Green, who was bought there as a 3 and D guy. He's just been trash all playoffs. It's quite pathetic, honestly. Rondo is actually uh, the second best <laughs> guy on on three-point percentage on the team. And he's now, well, now he's at three for seven after tonight. It's, um, it's interesting. It's interesting to see. Um, LeBron's not shooting great from three. Anthony Davis isn't shooting great from three. Uh, Caruso is not hitting from three. Um, it's basically just KCP, and he's really been kind of the difference. Like, LeBron and AD are going to do what they do, but KCP stepping up, hitting big shots has been huge uh, for the Lakers. Um, now, the opposite of the Nuggets, or not the Nuggets, the opposite of the Heat and Celtics series. So in that series, both teams are playing very short lineups, um, not going deep into their bench. And the Nuggets and Lakers series, uh, coming into game four, 10 guys had played every single game for the Lakers. 
And if I look at the stats tonight, one, two, three, four, five, there's a good chance that those same 10 guys played tonight as well, uh, it appears, just looking at the, the box score. For the Nuggets, uh, nine guys have played every single game. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And that's probably the case again tonight with the same same nine guys. Um, I think P.J. Dozier is really the only other guy who has contributed significantly in any game for the Nuggets beside those regular nine. So, again, the other series, short benches. This series, they're going nine, ten deep every single game. Um, for the Nuggets, again, not really any surprises. Murray, 24, 5, and 7. Jokic, 24, 7, and 5. Um, Murray shooting over 40% from three coming into game four. Uh, he ended up shooting. He was actually 0 for 3 from deep in this game. Uh, so that'll drop below 40% for the series. And then Jokic. Jokic really hasn't been shooting many threes, which I was surprised to see. He was 2 for 7 coming into tonight. Uh, he went 2 for 3 tonight, so I guess that makes him 4 for 10. So now he's at 40%. But just 10 three-pointers in four games, so that, that outside shot hasn't really been as much of a threat as you would expect it to be. Um, personally, and call me what you like, but Jokic, 24 points a game. It feels like, it feels like he sits back way too much. Like, I don't enjoy how often he passes up shots. He only took 13 shots tonight, for example. Uh, Murray took 20. Jerry and Grant took as many shots as... I'm sorry, not Jerry. Is it Jerry or Jeremy? I don't even know. I get them mixed up now. Now I'm thinking way too hard. Uh, Jeremy Grant, okay. They took the same amount of shots. And you can't have that. Jokic is a guy who was an MVP candidate not long ago. He can't be taking the same amount of shots as a role player on his team. Uh, foul trouble or no foul trouble, he still played 35 minutes. There's no excuse for him taking one shot every three three minutes he was on the court. That's that's just not gonna not gonna cut it. Um, and then some of those shots were like weak tipping attempts when he probably should have just controlled the ball and went up strong. Um, which is something I, I really don't enjoy watching from him. Like, it's cool when it works, but when you watch him, like, tip the ball at the rim and it just doesn't go anywhere near, it's, it's, it annoys and bothers me. Uh, no, he's not, like, the big, strong, athletic guy, but he is big, and when you have the ball and in position, sometimes getting fouled is a good thing. It puts pressure on the other team. Slows the game down, let you get there, work on your, take your time and get your shots off. So, uh, speaking of which, only two free throw attempts for Jokic tonight. Uh, I know Mike Malone mentioned uh, saying he's going to have to go through the proper channels to to get some foul calls like the Lakers did. Uh, they, the, the Nuggets took 23 free throws tonight. The Lakers took 35. Uh, somebody pointed out for the course of the series, uh, the teams are now even in free throw attempts. 
Uh, LeBron and AD took 14 apiece tonight. Um, nobody else on the team really took that many. Um, Dwight Howard had three. He was very busy on the inside earlier, early in the game. And then Rondo had a couple uh, late. But um, the Nuggets have to know that when you're playing against a team that everybody wants to win, you're not just playing against that team. And no, I'm not saying there's a huge conspiracy or anything like that. But history will show that the underdog is not going to be getting the favorable whistles in those situations. Uh, I'm not saying they're manufacturing calls. I'm saying that and when the game gets tight to end the games, you you have to notice that the Lakers are getting all the weak little calls, but the Nuggets are not getting any weak calls. Like If they're getting calls, it's blatant. And so those little things are things that teams like the Nuggets have to know going into that series. Uh, if the finals ends up being what it looks like it's going to be, the Heat are going to be up against that as well. They have to know if the game is tight, which based on the way they play, it probably will be. The game is tight. Know that the the, the sliders are going to slightly favor uh, the Lakers. You can't let that get to you emotionally. You can't let that affect how you play the game. Uh, you just have to go hard. Hope that you get the calls, and if not, get back on D. Try to be in the best position you can on the other end, knowing that if you may step out of line, if you make it look like you're about to commit a foul, they're probably going to call it. Uh, for the Nuggets, besides the big two, averaging 24-piece, um, Grant's number three on the team with 14, so him and KCP are about even. MPJ's averaging about 12.7 coming into this game, and Morris 10 um, off the bench for the Nuggets. It sucks because all the games have been pretty competitive for the most part, even if teams got big leads. Usually the gaps end up being closed. I think game one was the only one where the Lakers really kind of made a statement, came out one by 12. Uh, game two, the Nuggets said they felt like they should have won that game. Uh, ends on a buzzer beater from, from AD. And then tonight, fourth quarter, you felt it. It got tight. Nuggets, uh, Jokic gets into foul trouble. Uh, Lakers start getting all the favorable calls, and that game just kind of I mean, the Nuggets definitely hung around even after it looked like the things were getting away from them, but just not enough. Couldn't close it out. So uh, they're down 3-1 again. And we, like I said, we've seen this before twice. <laughs> we thought they were out both times, so it's hard for me as a spectator, as a fan, to watch... Uh, to expect uh, them to just go down. Uh, so we'll see. We'll watch game five. See if they have another magical run in them. See if they have another magical run in them. The, the games have been so close. Um, the games, they've, they've played right there with them. I do feel like they're, it's, they haven't played out of their minds either. Um, so I have to feel like there's another gear they can get to. There has to be more they can give. 
uh, especially a night like tonight. They lose by six with Jokic only having 16 points. Um, and nobody else, I mean, Grant was about, everybody else is pretty much where they've been all series. Murray stepped up a little bit. Um, so actually, if you do the math, those, your Murray and Jokic have been averaging 48 total between the two every game. And they still got that with Jokic having 16, Murray had 32. So they still end up with 48 between the two of them Jokic just didn't add as much as you would have liked to see him add in this game so him he has to come out aggressive um to score the ball as well I understand playing within the system blah 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 but when you're the the best guy on the court allegedly you got to show it 16.7 boards that's not that's not showing me your dominance you can't go out like that so he stepped up in the other series. We'll see if he does it in this one, uh, especially with the way AD is playing. Uh, you can't you can't let AD come out here and make this type of statement on you. You gotta you gotta go out fighting, at the very least. Uh, and Dwight Howard, huge difference in Game Four. He got the start. He played twenty two minutes total, twelve points, eleven boards. He was all over the glass, especially offensively, with six offensive rebounds. Um, I love Dwight, if I can be honest. And uh, I'm happy that he's playing well. I'm actually very, very happy for him. Uh, this Nuggets team, <laughs> they they make you they make you care about them. They make you buy in. But um, I don't know. I don't know. The it looks it's, it it looks like it's gonna be the Lakers, and I'm gonna get into some stuff later. I um was out of town this past weekend and um you know there was a, a gathering a family gathering and uh we were at my mom's cousin's house and her husband had the game on in his in his uh media room and uh I was talking about you know wanting the Lakers to lose and he was like man you got to look at LeBron he's 35 like, how many times are we going to get to get see him do this like this like how many more times are we going to get to see LeBron like this and it kind of got me thinking like that's true like LeBron is he's not gonna be able to do it forever um we only got a few more years of LeBron basketball left and you know the quality is already I mean you can say he's still performing and he kind of is but you can see a little bit of, of a difference in his game already and uh when he hangs it up, it's it's going to be huge. It's going to be tough. Like, even though I've spent most of his career rooting against him, like, it's fun to have people to root against. And uh, at the same time, you know, I respect him as a man. And um, I don't know. He's been in, endlessly entertaining uh, for the NBA for so long that, uh, you know, we just lost Kobe, tragically. And, you know, I think about that the last game Kobe played and watching him play. And, you know, I spent all of Kobe's career rooting against him, like day one. I remember my cousin had a Kobe poster in her room, and I was like, I don't like that guy, off off the rip. I hadn't even seen him play at that point. <laughs> I just didn't like him as soon as I saw him on somebody's uh, on wall. Um, and plus I was an Iverson guy, so it was like Iverson or Kobe type of thing. You can't can't love both in my head. Uh, even at that early age is how I felt. 
And so I, uh, I've, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm taking a position of kind of trying to appreciate LeBron despite all his antics, the flopping, the crying for weak foul calls, or the fact that he never has committed a foul ever in his life. Um, despite all that, just enjoying greatness, you know. Um, put the whole goat discussion aside. Like he's clearly one of the most talented gifted athletic specimens we've watched in any arena in any sport uh definitely in my lifetime so uh, I'm, I'm just gonna try to enjoy it regardless i'm still probably gonna root against him <laughs> but i'm not gonna get upset if he wins you know uh just an amazing career overall so the ups and the downs uh he's got a heck of a story when he hangs it up so uh, I'm going to close out this segment and then I'm going to get into these questions. Uh, it's going to end up being a pretty pretty long podcast. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. I'll be right back with you. All right, folks, and welcome back. This is going to be the last segment I record. Um, finally doing some questions again. It's been a couple weeks, so uh, let's get started. I had a few questions. Let me double check something here. <laughs> All right. First question on the docket tonight comes from the homie uh, Grant or at Edmund the Slayer. Uh, he said, how sweet is it that MJ is finally coming to NASCAR and are we still going to Darlington post-COVID? So uh, it's actually pretty awesome to see Mike finally take that leap. Um, not surprising at all. Uh, given the history of racing in North Carolina and the fact that, um, I mean, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, you can literally throw a rock from the the Hornets Arena and hit the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So I'm sure riding past that every day <laughs> kind of is a reminder that, you know, that's that's the next foray for him. Uh, even doper that he's getting Bubba on his, on his team. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And... Uh, Again, coming from a sports major in college, you know, everybody said hockey, you have to see live at least once. And then also um, NASCAR, you have to see live. Um, With the history, I was not that excited about walking into a NASCAR (laughs) area uh, with Confederate flags and things like that. But, you know, with the way they've stepped up during this, this time right now with the Black Lives Matter and uh, defending Bubba and standing behind him, banning the Confederate flag at their, their racetracks. Um, and I actually did buy stock in uh, the racetrack in my home state in Delaware um, just to be, just to, to have a piece of the state, you know. Uh, I don't live there. I only go back, it seems like, for funerals these days. But um, definitely wanted to be be a part of that. And uh, I'm excited. We definitely got to make that happen whenever um, spectators are, are welcome back in, 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 in mass capacities 
to arenas and, and tracks and, and fields and whatever. Um, you gotta, gotta have those experiences in life. You, you take it for granted for so long, whenever it comes back, you gotta, gotta, I'm taking advantage of every opportunity placed in front of me. So let's make it happen for sure. Uh, next question comes from, uh, Scotch V, uh, who said, who's going to sign Jeremy Grant and how much is he getting paid? So it's hard for me to imagine him leaving the Nuggets. Like, very difficult for me to imagine that, just based on the success that they've had thus far, his role there currently, basically the number three guy right now. Um, I think it would take a monstrous offer to get him to leave, but then the Nuggets can spend money if they feel if they feel uh, the need to, if they feel so inclined. Um, I look at the Gary Harris deal. And I think he got about, let me pull it up, actually. I don't have to guess. It looks like he has 57 mil guaranteed left, but I want to look at the what the actual deal was. Four-year, 84 mil. 74 guaranteed. And that's kind of the range that I picture for Grant. Somewhere in that range, that, that 18 to 20 mil a year range, four years, 80 mil, something like that, would not surprise me. I think the way he's played during these playoffs is uh, only making that, uh, making a stronger case for that type of pay. Um, I wonder actually what's going to happen with Gary Harris if he doesn't become expendable in the near future. Uh, the Nuggets are going to have to make some decisions, but not from like any real force. I just think they have so many assets. If they feel like they need to change the dynamic of their team in any way, uh, they can do that by packaging one or two players and, and getting the guys that fill the holes. Uh, Millsap's coming off the books this year as well. So, they, I mean, they are going to have a little bit of money to spend. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to watch what they what they do, but I, I it's hard for me to imagine them letting Grant go. I just can't see it. I expect him not to not uh, take his option because I think he get, can get paid twice as much next year. Um, but I can't imagine the uh, the Nuggets watching him walk away. That's that's hard to even fathom. With that said. Uh, the next question is from J.G. Gomes, or Gomez. I, sh- I sh- probably should have looked at <laughs> the, the Avi before I, I went to answer this question. But um question is, if a deal like T.J. Warren's comes up, do you do it? Basically, uh, taking on a contract for additional picks. So if there are guys, and I didn't take the time to like go team by team and look at guys that maybe have ugly contracts that a team might want to dump and get somebody to take on the salary. Um, I think it depends on the player. If if the player fits a area of need for us, so that would be a complimentary big to play beside KP, who can defend the interior, rebound, things like that. 
um, if it's a 3 and D wing type player, and I do mean 3 and D, not D and maybe they can hit a 3 every now and then. Uh, I need consistency on that shot. Or a secondary playmaker type who can score and set up other guys. Uh, it can be that guy who, who manages the offense when Luka's out. Give me one of those three things. I think you have to consider it. Um, we don't want to get into a situation where we put ourselves in a, a difficult spot for 2021. But at the end of the day, if somebody wants to come to Dallas and we need to make space, we can we can make space. Somebody will take a contract um, if it comes down to it. So that's not even people that stress about money annoy me. Um, salary can be moved. We've seen it happen millions of times. Uh, all right, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. We've seen it happen so many times to act like, oh, if we take on salary now, we won't have money for 2021 is just ignoring the history and the facts. Uh, we can clear space if we if we end up needing to. And if not, then we got a good player. And again, I only do it if it's a good player. I'm not taking on some scrub to, to eat up space just for a, a pick. We are in a position where Luca has moved up the timeline to the point where the guys I'm looking at in free agency are all in their prime. They're 27, 28, 29, 30. Like, we're ready. We're trying to get to the mountaintop next year i forget waiting and developing and all that let's get some guys that are ready to come in and contribute right away uh some guys who we know who they are Uh, potential doesn't hurt but if we know who you are and you're where you are is good and that's what we want uh the next question comes from that's so ragonk r-a-g-o-n-k And I probably didn't spell that or pronounce that correctly, but the point stands. Uh, He says, thoughts on looking into trading for Will Barton and signing Chris Dunn. We're going to go pretend we don't see the spelling. If we aren't looking into a third star. So I've always been a Will Barton fan. Like, I like his game. I won't be mad if we end up with Will Barton on our roster. Like, he's the type of guy I like. As far as scoring goes, uh, Chris Dunn feels like he might end up being another DeLon Wright situation. I don't want to go there if we're going to bring in another guard type versus the guys we already have. They either need to be a bucket getter or they need to be a big wing that can defend multiple positions. Dunn's a solid defender, but he doesn't fit my, my size parameters as far as that goes. Um, again, Barton I'm interested in, Chris Dunn, not so much. And then the Barton deal, it's like, what are we trading to get him would be the question. Um, the next question comes from the homie Brendan Mayfield. He said, who is the best Mavs free agent acquisition possible? And, or he didn't say possible. Best Mavs free agent acquisition and why? So for this question, I had to create my own parameters And I eliminated any restricted free agents and went straight to the uh, the true free agents 
and guys that may have incentive to actually leave their teams. So um, I got a short list, and I'm going to name every single person that ended up on that short list, and then we'll start eliminating guys. So for things I've already mentioned. Secondary playmaker types. Uh, rebounding. Physical big men. Because we need a physical presence. And a 3 and D type whose 3 is actually dependable. And then just any shooter, really, I would add in there as well. Because we need shooters around. Luca. So give me all the shooters, <laughs> basically. And so with that said, I came up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys who ended up on that list of, of guys that I can consider the best. Uh, Joe Harris, obviously a consistent shot shooters, bucket uh, guy in his upper 20s. Otto Porter, another guy who's a a straight shooter uh but also has some some length and can defend a bit. Uh Gordon Hayward actually ends up on my list. I have to question how much money he's going to look for, but got to put him on the list. Uh Justin Holiday as well. Uh, had a nice season this year and I uh, love the pedigree. Davis Bertans again bucket. Uh Jay Crowder physical Defender, uh, he actually has. I know it's a smaller sample size with just twenty games, but shot forty four percent from three since getting to Miami. Uh, Gallo Gallinari, bucket, and a guy who could potentially be like an insurance plan behind uh, KP, but can also play with him. Uh, Ibaka. And uh, there were a couple guys I eliminated because they don't really rebound well. But Ibaka makes the cut. And Dwight Howard is the last guy on the list. So if we're looking for the the best free agency acquisition, I have to eliminate Bertans, Gordon Hayward, and Joe Harris off rip. Because while they are great acquisitions to for any team or for definitely for our team, they would help in some way. They also have some limitations that I can't ignore. I also have to eliminate Justin Holiday, and that brings us down to Otto, Jay, Gallo, Ibaka, Dwight. Um, Otto. Gets tricky because of his health. We don't know his situation there, so I, I kind of have to remove him just on the on the health factor alone. So now we're down to Jay Crowder, Gallinari, Ibaka, Dwight Howard. Ibaka, I have to question because he likes to hang out on the perimeter too, and that kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to accomplish and bring it in. Uh, an interior presence, a physical interior presence. So Jay Crowder, Gallinari, Dwight Howard. 
And that's that's what this is where it gets tough. Because all three of these guys bring something a little bit different. So Gallinari, certified bucket. No doubt about his ability to get El Puentos. Um, I don't even know if that made sense. <laughs> no doubt about his ability to get points on the board. Right? Um, Jay Crowder, no no questions about his ability to mix it up, be physical, tough defensively, guard guys like LeBron and, and, and guys like that and, and cause them a little bit of problems. Uh, he's somewhere between Maxi and DFS with what he does on the defensive end. Plus, he's, he's solidly built so he can be physical with a guy. He has those goon-type qualities that we need uh, that we're missing right now. And then finally, Dwight uh, looks young and spry as ever right now on these Lakers team. Uh, question would be, is he really incentivized to leave the Lakers, especially if they, they close things out? I think he can go wherever he wants and maybe get some money <laughs> with, his next, with his next contract, especially if they win it all. Uh, if they don't, then I think he's going to be strong. If he cares about a ring, it's going to be uh, hard to, to pull him out of L.A. if they make a run and get close and lose or something like that. So, And he's 34 already. So, several reasons to question that. With that said, I think I have to go with Jay Crowder. The return of Jay Crowder. Um, Again, gives us something on the defensive end. The three-point shot has improved over the course of uh, his career. Uh, It's it's slowly gotten to a point where it's kind of steady. And I think that... The way that he shot it in Miami kind of goes to show that in a certain situation, his shot can be very strong. Um, his last days in Boston, he was shooting about 40% back in 2016-17 before he was traded to Cleveland. Then Utah. Then Memphis. And in those three places, he didn't shoot a great, great percentage. But again, ended up in Miami on a strong team unit that moves the ball and shot 44%. So I I think coming into Dallas where he's going to get wide open looks, I would expect his uh, numbers to be pretty good. Uh, Maybe not 44% good, but if he's shooting 40, 39 that's better than what we've got right now. Plus what he does on the defensive end of the ball. So, And he can play like a small ball four beside KP. So uh, I think versatility-wise, what he adds-wise, Jay Crowder is probably my guy as the number one target. And then the question becomes, what is why would he be incentivized to leave his situation? And again, if the Heat win it all, he doesn't have to chase rings if he wants to try to build something there. If tired of moving around, okay, I can respect that. Um, and if he has any animosity towards Dallas for trading him, then I can understand I'm not coming for that reason. Um, so if you eliminate Jay and Dwight on the why would they leave factor, then it becomes Gallinari. And that was a very long answer to what should have been a very simple question.
But that's what you get when you when you ask Bibbs questions. I'm, I'm gonna overthink everything. I'm gonna give you a long winded answer. And finally, the question of the night. And this was one that I was gonna touch on, even if it wasn't asked, but it was asked. Caden one one seven said thoughts on the Mavs signing Montrez Harold. I'm gonna try to keep this one tight. We'll see how it goes. So if you had asked me this earlier the season before the playoffs, I would have been all over it. Yes, get me Montrez right now. Goon qualities, a high energy guy, rebounds. I in my mind, but then I looked at it. He's really not a great rebounder. He's basically Dwight Powell with dreadlocks. When it comes down to it. So then he becomes a redundancy once we get Dwight Powell back. And he's probably going to want at least Dwight Powell money or more. And the question is, for me, and I mean, I've discussed this before, you can't kill the big man completely, but if you're going to have like role player type big man, big man, you need versatility in your group. And when you look at Montrez and Dwight having similar qualities on both ends of the floor as finishers on offense, uh, guys who run around, fly around the ball, but then aren't great defensively either, um, we need somebody who's actually solid defensively on the interior to pair with Dwight Powell and our big man bullpen. So I don't think Montrez is the answer, quite honestly. Um, again, goon type quality is great, but you got to give me more than one thing. You got to give me two things that we don't currently have, and I don't think he does that personally. And that's really it. Um, wow, 20 minutes on these question section. I never would have guessed that. <laughs> Uh, this has been another edition of the Bibbs Corner Podcast. I believe this is still going to come in at under an hour. We'll see in a second. You'll already know when you hit play, so I'm wasting breath discussing it right now. But uh, another edition of the Bibbs Corner Podcast. Uh, I will likely be watching some movies this weekend, so we'll get some movie reviews out. Uh, we'll get our weekly movie catch-up. And then next week, again, two uh, sports-related conversations coming up in the middle of the week i'm excited about those um yeah i'm not gonna tease any more of that peace